a vision worth dying for. That's what we've been given. People in our community, in our region, our state, our nation, and all over the world need to hear the message that our Father spared no expense. He spared no expense in tearing down the barriers of death and shame and sin and depression and bondage so that we could be in relationship with him right now. The world needs to hear that Jesus was the Father's extravagant sacrifice. People need to know that Jesus himself was so enthralled with the Father's love that he knew that the Father's life-giving love was the only way that imprisoned people would ever be free. People need to know that Jesus freely laid down his life, freely said yes to the plan of the Father, and that he endured a horrific, shameful death for you and I. And that this Jesus was so powerful that he alone, after laying down his life, he took it back up again, rose himself from the dead, conquered death, and lives today. And that that same mighty, powerful, death-conquering king, he gently knocks on the door of your heart today because he wants relationship with you. He knows you. He knows your name. He knows how many hairs are on your head or on your chin. He knows you. This message is one worth dying for. That message is one worth dying for. And the spreading of this message through the one vehicle which God chose to be the most effective, the most effective means of spreading this truth, the church, we together as the church are called to carry forth this message. Individually, corporately, in, in mass broadcast, and in personal intimate conversations. We're meant to call forth in prayer that this message would be spread through us by any means the Lord would use us for. This is why Impact Rock exists and this is where Impact Rock is going. We are called to be the church and we are called to be the church everywhere. Not just here, everywhere the most challenging setting, the most difficult of place. Maybe that's in your workplace. Maybe that's a place where there's trepidation because you don't know how much you can share because in the political stance of things, it'd be real easy for people to turn on you and and label you with some term. And and there's just a lot of uncertainty. What can I share? How How can I demonstrate the love of Christ in the workplace? Maybe... That challenging place is the neighborhood because we're like, man, I don't want to turn off my neighbors. I don't want to alienate my neighbors, but I want them to, to know Christ. And I want them to know this truth and his love. I want them to be healed and free. 
Maybe it's to strangers. Maybe that's really challenging going. I'm, I'm good talking to people I know. I'm not good sharing Jesus with someone I don't know. That just seems really challenging, possibly invasive to me. We are called to do this everywhere. We are called to be a light that is never snuffed out, that is always shining, that is always reaching. I want to read the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28. If you have your Bibles, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. I'm going to read a few verses. Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came and told his disciples. Jesus said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. These two verses that I read are known as the Great Commission. But there is an essential third verse that is part of this commission, part of this great command. And this essential third verse has two additional instructions. Verse 20, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. To partner with God and to be in relationship with Him, you must be a Jesus follower. That's what a disciple is. A Jesus follower. To partner with God and to be in relationship with Him, you must be accurately defined and associated with his name, with his character. And Jesus says to do this through baptism. I love that it says that you're to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's not just calling out name like I would say Byron and Sarah and Robert. It is that we are to be identified. We are to be buried and risen through baptism with the character, the name. Of God. His character is to be our character. What what his values are are to be our values. They represent perfect unity. They represent the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and their character. They are unified. They are the same. To partner with God and to be in relationship with him, you must obey his commands. I hear the Great Commission shared all the time. I hear people say the first two verses of the Great Commission all the time. I'll read it again. Jesus came to his disciples, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Boom, Great Commission, I got it. There's more. Teach these new followers to obey my commands. You realize that's part of the Great Commission? All. Help me, help me out, because I, I just... Public school education and all. What does all mean? All. All. 
to obey all my commands. So here's the key. If we don't know this Jesus that, that I'm talking about right now, that verse about obeying his commands could seem heavy. It could sound legalistic. If you don't know him, if you don't know his heart, if you don't know his love, if you don't know him, then that can seem legalistic. It's not, because he's not. It's about relationship. It is not about the list. It's about his heart. It's about representing his character. It's about representing his love. It's about representing his grace as he does. See, Jesus perfectly exemplified the Father. Perfectly. He knew the Father's love. He knew the Father's love was a solution for this world. He willingly laid down his life. He knew the Father's love was the solution for this world today. And so Jesus came perfectly representing the Father's love. And then he knew when he went away that the Holy Spirit would perfectly represent Jesus and the Father's love would guide us into all truth, would comfort, would teach, would guide. There's unity among, among the Godhead. Teach all followers to obey all the commands I have given you. And then it says, and be sure of this. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The last command that we see in this great commission, that phrase, and be sure of this, here's what he's saying. Believe. Believe. Have faith. I am with you always. Always. How can we be certain? How can we be certain? We have to know him. We have to know him. We have to spend time with him. We have to be open to him. We have to trust him. We have to give him access to everything and say, Lord, I trust you with every part of me and I will obey you with every part of me. To partner with God, God must be our source of sufficiency. You know, a lot of people, they think they're doing God a favor when they partner with God. They really do. They think they're doing God a favor when they believe in him, when they trust in him. I mean, they'd never say this, but they're like, God, I'm so happy for you because I'm a huge win for you. I'm a huge asset. I'm a huge asset to your team. I'll be betting clean up in the church. Load the bases for me, Lord. I'm going to drive them in. I'm really excited for you, God. And then you have those on the other end of that that say, Lord, I, you don't have any idea what you're doing in choosing me. Lord, I, if I'm being honest, I probably made a mistake because I don't think you can use me. Or there's people that say, God, I don't think you can forgive me. I'll, I'll say yes to you, but you, you know what I've done. I know I can never fully be forgiven. I mean, and, and everything in between, to be honest with you. 
When we say we're following Christ, we're not doing him a favor. And when we say we're following Christ, we shouldn't be disqualifying ourselves or telling or limiting God and how he can use us. Because that being certain part, that believing part says, God, there's so many things I don't see and there's so many things I don't understand and there's so many things that I just can't piece together. But I believe. I trust you. And so I'm going to obey you because I believe that everything you tell me to do is for my good, for your glory, and good will come from it. So I'm going to obey you. I don't understand it all. But I am going to obey. We can't be self-focused. To follow Jesus, we can't be self-centered. Both those extreme responses I had are self-focused and self-centered. Lord, I'm the the all-star on your team. Lord, use me however you will. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, my gifts are phenomenal, Lord, so just, that's self-centered, that's self-focused. Lord, I, I've got nothing to offer you, and, and so I'm just going to, don't, Lord, I can't be used by you. That's self-centered, that's self-focused. They're both self-centered, they're, they're self-focused. To be a follower of Christ, we have to be Christ-centered, Christ-focused. And, it, and I think it starts in saying, Lord, there's so much I don't understand but I'm following you. Lord, there's so much I don't know yet, but I'm following you. God must be our source of sufficiency. He is always with me. He is enough. And through him, I am enough. Where we are going as a church body, as the body of Christ, and as the church, we must go together. As the body, we must go together. But where you are going as a disciple and a follower of Jesus, you must go alone. As a church, as the body, we go together. As an individual, you have to know Christ on your own. So when we come together here on Sundays, do you guys, do you guys like buy like vitamins or like, you know, GNC, like they have all these supplements if you're like trying to get fit or whatever. Like, you know, like the, the little like supplements, it could be a powder or it could be a little capsule with the clear things, you know, on both sides or whatever, you know, and the stuff in the middle. That's the, that's the medical description of that, by the way. I looked it up. Yeah. Plastic stuff that goes in and stuff in the middle. Supplements. So this right here, this isn't supper. This is a supplement. This is a supplement. Right now, what we're getting right now, this is a supplement. This is that little pill. This isn't supper. You eat supper on your own. You get alone with Jesus and you eat supper on your own. This is a supplement. The problem in the church today is we make this our supper and it was never meant to be our supper. Now, maybe I'm going to great lengths to make a point. So let's just say it's a meal. Maybe maybe it's a little more than a supplement. It's a meal. But if it is the only meal, then you are really unhealthy looking in your spirit, man. So when I say as a follower of Jesus, you got to go alone, 
You've got to have a relationship with Him. You've got to be able to stand. You've got to say, when I am surrounded by enemies, I will stand for you. I know you. You never leave me. I'm never fully alone because you are there. And I will stand for you. And I know who you are. And I will follow you. And I will trust you. Even though I'm a little insecure because I don't know everything. But Lord, I'm secure in you because you are my everything. I want to talk about two Saul's today and I want to contrast the two Saul's. I'm going to talk about New Testament Saul and I'm going to talk about Old Testament Saul. So we're going to start with New Testament Saul. New Testament Saul, you, you know him by another name. What name do you know New Testament Saul by? Paul, the Apostle Paul. Wrote the majority of the New Testament. But his name was originally Saul. And the Lord gave him a new name. So I'm going to read Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 27. This is New Testament Saul. Paul is writing to Christians. Paul is writing to people that helped him grow the church, plant the church, start the church, and that it will be left in their care when he is gone. Verse 22, Paul says this, And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me in those cities. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may, I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Isn't that just a sobering thing? I will never see you again. I know this. I know you will never see my face again and I will never see you again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all for I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole truth of God. I know I'm innocent of your blood because I didn't, I didn't pull a single punch. I didn't hold back a single truth. I proclaimed Jesus and Jesus alone. And even though I know I'll never see you again, I know this. I did everything God asked of me. So you know what's interesting, guys? We're only responsible for one thing. We only have one responsibility as a believer. I only have one responsibility as a pastor. You only have one responsibility as a daughter of the king, as a son of the king. As you, We only have one thing that we're responsible to God for. Do you realize that? And that's to do whatever he asks us to do. That's it. That's it. Whatever he asks you to do, do. That's it. I'm not responsible to do anything he hasn't asked me to do. And everything he's asked me to do, I'm responsible to do. You guys see that? If he speaks something to you, 
personally, through the Holy Spirit, something specific, you're responsible to do it. If he says, I know you're totally uncomfortable with this, I want you to walk out of your house and I want you to go to your neighbor's house and I want you to knock on the door and I want you to let them know that you're praying for them and that you love them and that you're there if they ever need anything and that you're going to continue to pray. God says to do that, you are responsible to do it. You see in his word instruction that he says something to do? He's, he's given us his word and it says, oh, I see this, you're responsible to do it. I'm responsible to do it. Everything he says to do, we're responsible to do. That means as Christians, we're responsible to forgive because he said to do it. We're responsible to have grace. We're responsible to proclaim the good news of Jesus. we're, We're responsible to get healed up and be usable for the king so that we can be a vessel in his hand, so that we can be a tool in his hand. Whatever he said to do, that's what we're responsible for. Paul, a.k.a. the apostle formerly known as Saul, was a man of both conviction and commitment. Conviction and commitment. What about you and I? Do we have both conviction and commitment? You see, if we have conviction, we got conviction, but we have no commitment then we will have no passion and no follow-through and our convictions will fade. They will. They'll pass. I'm so, I have so much conviction. I'm, I'm just, I'm so passionate about Christ, but we have no commitment. That conviction, give it time. It'll go away. It'll fade because we lack follow-through. So let's flip that. If we have commitment, but we lack conviction, then we are fools because we'll be committed to something that has no true value will be swayed by something. There's not unlimited truth out there, friends. I don't care what the world says. There is not unlimited truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man gets to the Father except through me. So what should our convictions be? You guys, do you realize how blessed we are? He spells it out for us. He spells it out for us in your word. We have a Bible. He spells it out for us. Do you realize how blessed we are? We have the Holy Spirit right here with us. Instant access to God, never alone. Always pointing us to Jesus, to what he said, what he taught, to who he is. What should our convictions be? You guys, if we're communing with God, if we're growing with him, if we're spending time with him, then the Holy Spirit drops those convictions on our heart. You don't got to find a cause. I'm just letting you know. You don't have to find a cause. We don't have a list of causes, of Christian causes to sign up for in in the foyer. All you got to do is spend time with Jesus and he will drop his cause on your heart. And that's called a conviction. And then when we're not doing it, the Holy Spirit convicts us of of disobedience, of not doing what God's said. and said, hey, I've given this conviction to you. Let me just remind you. 
Let me convict you of this. Not, he doesn't shame us. He doesn't shame us. He's like, let me remind you of this good thing that I dropped in. And you've got to nurture it. You're not spending time with me. You're not walking this out. You're not being obedient to what you've been told. And then we have to commit to be obedient. You guys, it's part of the Great Commission. It's just, I don't know why... I don't know why I only hear the first two verses of the Great Commission and not that verse 20, not that last one. Obedience matters. It's God's love language. Obedience matters. It's how he hears love. It's how he knows we love him. If you love me, you will keep my commands, he said. He said, you are my friend if you do what I say. And he says this in in John uh, 14.5 and 15.4. I love the symmetry of it. Let's go to the Old Testament Saul. There's an Old Testament Saul too. We saw with New Testament Saul, we saw someone willing to lay down his life. And not just willing to lay down his life. He died for the gospel. New Testament Saul, Paul died for the gospel. He was beheaded. When, when he says, I, I don't believe I'll ever see you again, that was under the unction of the Holy Spirit. He never saw them again. He died. After being imprisoned, he was beheaded and he gave his life for the gospel. And he said, I don't cling to my life. I don't, I don't consider that, that it... What is important to me is that I can live my Christ, my life for Christ, that I can proclaim truth. I have ran the race. I've done all that's been asked of me. And that's all I care about. Let's look at Old Testament Saul. King Saul. Israel's first king. The Bible says he was a head above everyone else. He was a foot taller than everyone else. Good looking guy. Strong guy. Strong leader. Israel's first king. Israel's first king because they clamored for a king. They begged for a king. They they declared, we deserve a king. We need a king. Everyone else has a king. So God said, okay. I've got a king in store for you, but you don't like my timing. I've got a king that I've prepared for you. It's just not time yet, but I'll, I'll let you have your way and I'll let you have a king. You want someone that's big and tall and strong and there you go, Saul's your guy. We see in 1 Samuel that God spoke to the prophet Samuel and told him that because of what the Amalekites had done to Israel, because of the harsh and cruel ways that they had treated Israel, that God wanted all of the Amalekites wiped out. And not just all the Amalekites, all their animals, all their cattle, all their pigs, any, all their horses, anything that could be used to benefit another army or another people. He, he wanted them wiped off because of how they had treated, because they had, how they had treated Israel. All. What does all mean again? I forgot. Because all, everything. He wanted all of it wiped away. Let's pick up in First Samuel 15, verse 7. So Samuel gets, has that message. He delivers it to Saul. 
It says, And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, he took him alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep. They spared the best of the oxen. They spared the best of the fatted calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, that they went ahead and devoted to destruction. The word of the Lord came to Samuel and God said this, I regret. Do you realize that God can regret? He says it right here. I regret that I have made Saul king for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. Let's pick up in verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, Good Lord, blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. I love Absolutely love Samuel's response. And Samuel said, Then what is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the, 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 lowing of the oxen that I hear? He's like, Oh, you have, have you? Uh, then why do I hear sheep? Oh, you did everything. You followed the commandments of the Lord. How come I hear oxen? Saul said, Saul said, They have brought them, who's the, I don't even know, they, they. They have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord, your God, your God, your God. I'm getting worked up just reading it. What a clown. And the rest of us we have devoted to, and the rest of it we have devoted to destruction. Once again, Samuel's awesome. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And and Saul said to him, speak. Samuel's like, I'm going to speak anyway, clown. I'm representing the Lord. The arrogance of Paul. And Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes and you are not the head of the, uh, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go, devote to destruction the Amalekites and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil, the sheep and oxen, the best of things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? He says, Does the Lord value your sacrifice greater than obedience? 
Behold, it is better to sacrifice. It is better than sacrifice to obey and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft or divination. And presumption is as iniquity, iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has rejected you from being king. Saul partially obeys God. Have you noticed that God has a word for everything? Like he has these like unique words. Do you know that God has a word for, for partial obedience? He does. Do you guys know what that word is for partial obedience? Disobedience. That's the word that God has for partial obedience. Disobedience. Either, either, either Saul wasn't listening. He didn't care. He was self-consumed. And we, we clearly see he had a fear of man, that he wanted to please man more than he wanted to please God. And he partially obeyed God. And God said, I regret that I ever made him king. The word for partial obedience is disobedience. So, I want to bring this into our kitchen for a second. If you got your bulletin, look in that lower right section of, of the bulletin there. We, we have a section there where we talk about giving. And we, we list, this is what our budget is and this is what we have to date. So, nowhere in Scripture do we see that a church is required to tithe. But when we started the church, that was our desire. That was our heart. The Lord had put that on our heart. We don't see it scripturally. It's not a scriptural requirement. But generosity is something that every believer is called to. And so as a church, that's something that we did. That we said, we're going to, we're going to demonstrate generosity. And so at least 10% of everything that came into the church, we would send out. We would send it to different ministries. We would send it to uh, an eerie nonprofit. We would send it, we would just different missionaries. And then that number you see in the bulletin, it started getting lower and started getting tighter. And so we, with good intentions, we started pulling back and said, well, and, and we didn't do that at first. We cut this and that and the other first. Well, let's cut this. Let's cut this budget. Let's cut this budget. Let's cut this. And we did all we could to be responsible. Our intentions were good. But the bottom line is when that number kept getting smaller and smaller, it got to the point where the only outgoing money that we had was sending a meager support to Pastor Matthew Boardwell and his family in Ireland. And all the other generosity that we had sent. Like, well, you know, we got to be responsible with, with God's resources. And I'm not saying God tells every church to do, to take what they have and to send to at least 10% out. But we feel like he told us that. And in our good intentions, you know how God, God has a word for good intentions that aren't followed through. It's that same like disobedience word. So I'm telling, I'm telling you this right now. Every Sunday after church, every Sunday afternoon, when we count the giving, right then and there, 10% of what came in that day is going out. That day. The first 
If we don't have enough to have an operating budget, then we don't have enough, and we're not going to miss whatever comes, 10% goes. But we're giving it to God. We're no longer going to be disobedient. You guys, you know, if you choose, God says give. If, if you choose not to give, that is on you and God, but I'm, we're not worrying about that. 10% of what comes in, we are sending out. We are sending out to advance the kingdom of God. 10% of what we count today is going to go to New Covenant Ministries International. It's going out the door today. Next Sunday, we're going to do the same thing. Next Sunday, we're going to do the same thing. Why? Because obedience is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. And I'm going I'm to go ahead and tell on us one more time. That's, that's all right. We're family, man. We, we, there's no shame. Corporate all-church prayer. There came a point when all-church prayer on Wednesday nights was like, it just dwindled down, dwindled down, whether it was either Andy and I or Andy or I. There were times it was one of us here for, for all-church prayer. Most of the time it was two of us here. And then there were other times, I mean, some of y'all came every now and then and but there came a point where like well if it's just you and I we can pray from our homes right and we canceled all church prayer when God had told us that prayer is of value in this church we have placed prayer as a value in this church and I'm here to tell you if it's only Andy and I this Thursday we are starting all church prayer and it's at 6.15 a.m. it's at 6.15 a.m. in the large classroom we're going to have a Keurig set up this Thursday and every Thursday from here on, all church prayer. Why? Because he told us to do it and we were disobedient and we just stopped and we're doing it again. If any of you clowns make any jokes about how early it is in the morning, I don't, I don't want to hear it. I'm going to send you to Hawk who has to be at work at like 4 a.m. or something ridiculous. So we're going to start. See, because what we found is, this is problem solving, guys. This is problem solving. So all this is. We found that our evenings were busy. No one came to church in the evening Makes sense. You know what? God gave us mornings too. We're going to do it in the morning. But we're going to do it, man, because God told us to do it. What is God telling you to do? I'm telling you right now, I'm, I'm, we've repented of this. We had an elders retreat this weekend. We got away. Someone gave us free use of their place up in the mountains. And we got away and we prayed. And we prayed for y'all for an, over an hour. We cried out to the Lord. We repented. And this is, these are some of the things we repented of. Lord, we repent for, for being self-focused and prideful in the fact that if there were only two of us here, we said that wasn't enough for you. You're our prize. You're our reward. And if there's one of us here, we're going to pray. So I'm telling on us. I ain't going to tell on y'all. But you better be looking in the mirror saying, what are the things that the Lord has told you to do that you've made an excuse and said, I'm not going to do it? I'm talking about vision. For us to move forward into, and to be the church, we got to be obedient to the king. And it's not open for debate. Deep breath. Deep breath. The Old Testament saw lacked conviction. The Old Testament saw lacked commitment. This next statement I'm about to make, I'm not going to make this make this a macho man thing, okay? It's not a macho man thing. It's a, it's a man of God thing. In my opinion, we should have never heard the story of David and Goliath. We should have heard the story of Saul and Goliath. 
It's not a macho thing. But he was the king. He should have been the one to say, if God is for us, who can be against us? He should have been the one to say, how dare he talk about our God? The battle is the Lord's. Our God goes before me and this heathen will be destroyed. If he was being the man of God, the God, man, I'm getting worked up. Good. If he was the man of God that God had called him to, we should have never heard the story of David and Goliath. We should have heard the story of Saul and Goliath because he had his eyes on Christ and the enemy was defeated. So where's the Goliath in your life and who are you being? Are you being a, a woman and a man of conviction and commitment right now? Or of compromise? I already ratted us out, man. Examine yourself. I'm not going to rat you out. Those of you that are worried like, oh no, he's going to prophesy and rat me out. We're not. (laughs) After David killed Goliath, then we see this ridiculous, destructive cycle in Saul's life. Saul would get mad at David. He would lash out against David. He would throw spears at David. He would apologize to David. He would get mad at David. He'd get jealous of David. He would lash out at David. He would apologize to David. Saul lost his cause. He lost his call. He lost his confidence and he took himself out of the game. And when Saul died, Saul died with regret. When Paul, the New Testament, Saul died. He died with fulfillment. When Paul died, he died in obedience. He died in surrender. He died to the vision worth dying for. God's given us a vision worth dying for. And and what we do is we make this mistake of thinking that he has given Um, Mark and Kara as the founding, the visionary pastors. He gave them this vision worth dying for. Well, he did, in part. It started with us. That part's true. Well, and then he gave Andy and Kim, who who came onto this eldership team and and, and the Lord ordained, then he gave them that vision worth dying for. And that is true, too. See, God, God gave them the vision worth dying before before they came on eldership because they were a part of this body and he gave us this vision we're dying for. Where we're going as a church, we have to go together. Where you are going as a follower of Jesus, you must be willing to go along. You guys, I, I don't really, I don't think ignorance is an excuse. I didn't know. Lord, I didn't know what you said. I didn't know what you wanted. Lord, I didn't know what your commands were. Lord, I I didn't mean to be uh, disobedient. I didn't know. Honestly, guys, I don't think ignorance is valid. Because he gave us his word. You don't got a Bible, we'll get you a Bible. And he gave us his Holy Spirit, which convicts. We're called to do this together. Paul died regretfully. You know what's interesting? Both Saul's were from the Hebrew tribe of Benjamin. Most theologians think that Saul of the New Testament was named after Saul of the Old Testament. Two Saul's. Same name. 
completely different legacies. Completely different legacies. Saul of the Old Testament lacked conviction and lacked commitment. Saul of the New Testament was a man of conviction and a man of commitment. Conviction. Conviction. What's going to steer our lives when the feelings fade? going to direct our lives when the feelings fade. When the motivation or the inspiration or whatever the moment is, when that fades, what steers our lives? What convictions will we stand upon and say, this is truth and I will not shrink back. what you're standing for and then if you don't stand with conviction then you won't be left standing when the challenges come you will fall I've heard people before you know when it comes to marriage I, I just we fell out of love I don't feel the love anymore what about the conviction what about the commitment we do that with Christ, you guys. We do that with Christ. We say God calls us, I'm just, we say God calls us to a church. And we're so happy to be at the church when everything's hunky-dory. And then we say, oh, I feel like God's calling me somewhere else. Just because someone offended or stepped on toes or all of a sudden things turn. And then we're like, oh, oh, that conviction's gone. You're not going to stand for it anymore. God's schizophrenic. I'm not saying God can't call somewhere else. I'm just saying we use it as a cop-out. We're talking about vision today. We're talking about a vision worth dying for. God can help us with our commitment problem. And I'll, I'll say this and I'll close with this. Whether it's reading reading his word or whether it's come into prayer in the morning or come into men's Bible study at 6 a.m. or growing in relationship or having you know, a connect group or going to a, 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 a women's event or a men's event or a youth event or whatever it is. We have good intentions. And so here's how that commitment problem can be, can be helped. My commitment. I'll, I'll speak for me. My commitment is fulfilled through Christ via the channel of the church, of community. That helps my commitment problem. It does. I'm, I'm not lying to you. I look out here and I see Hawk. That, this community fixes my commitment problem because I'm committed to this man. This fixes my commitment problem. I look over here and I see the Kanyases. And I see Avery and Haley and Chris. This fixes my commitment problem. The community that God has placed me within, the church community. See, there's accountability here. There's accountability here. There's togetherness here. There's commitment here. It's not a blank face. I see the eyes. I see the face. I know the heart. 
God placed us into community, into family. He brings the orphans into family. He heals the brokenhearted by drawing us together so we can point each other to Christ. Accountability. You want to know what accountability is? It's having people in our lives that help us balance out our convictions and our commitments. That's accountability. It's not some overbearing dude calling you in the middle of the night and asking you if you looked at something inappropriate on the computer. Which, I mean, that could be a form of it, I suppose. But accountability is someone in my life to help me balance my convictions and my commitments. Hey, Mark, I hear what you're saying about your values, but man, I'm seeing your actions right now and your actions aren't lining up with your values. So let's talk about your heart. It's not the actions I want to focus on. I want to focus on your heart. But I know what your values are. I know what you declare. I know what you say. But I'm seeing these actions, these behaviors that don't line up. And so I just want to help reconcile those. I just want to help reconcile those. And let's do it the best we can, man. Let's go straight to the heart. What are you putting before God, man? Is there anything you're putting ahead of Christ? That's accountability. That's community. There's a lot of talk about community. And true community is Christ-centered, Christ-rooted. It is loving and grace-filled, and it is bold, and it is mighty, and it is confident because we know who the King is.